Welcome to the latest podcast from the Recruitment and Employment Confederation. We're bringing you the latest updates and insights from the world of recruitment to help you navigate these challenging times. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. I'm Neil Carberry, the REC Chief Executive, and delighted to have you along for this edition of the pod. Fantastic guest today, and we're going to talk about some of how the world is is changing for them as we go through this crisis in a moment. From the REC point of view, just a few things to bring you up to date with over the last the last week or so. The REC's report on jobs was published on the 5th of August. That's the insight into placement trends across the economy. And what we've seen there is a real drop-off in the rate at which buildings were dropping. Not quite back into growing again yet across temporary and permanent, but certainly much clear, much less of a decline in the market than we've seen in previous months. So we're anticipating that as things continue to normalise, we'll start to see some positive numbers on that in the, in the months to come. That labour market outlook probably reflected also later this week in our jobs recovery tracker. That's our scrape of about 10,000 jobs forces tells us how, where activity is starting in uh, job seeking. Of course, report on jobs reports on job placements, jobs recovery trackers looking at ads. That's out on Friday the 14th, and that's where we'll be able to see whether there's a a continuing, slightly hopeful, not roaring back, but uh, recovering trend in the market to build on what we learned on the 11th from the new ONS stats. One big REC event to draw your attention to, that's REC 2020, our annual conference, absolutely free of charge to come along. Digital, of course, because that's how we roll these days. Fantastic speakers, uh, leaders of our major recruitment businesses like Bev White from Harvey Nash, but also business leaders like Dame Carolyn Fairburn from the from the CBI and some really great thinkers on change, changing your mindset and changing your business. People like Gus Balbantine, who's a, a fantastic speaker and one I've enjoyed in the past and delighted to be able to bring into you. So that's REC 2020, 8th of September, absolutely free to sign up. Just join us uh, via signing up on the REC website at rec.uk.com. Now to our guest today. Uh, delighted to be joined by Tina Norling, who's a friend of the REC, has been involved in our Good Recruitment Collective for a couple of years. She's head of recruitment marketing at the Good Care Group. And Tina, thanks for joining us today on the pod. Pleasure to be here, Neil. Thanks for having me. By way of introduction, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Good Care Group and, and what you do? Of course, yes. Uh, the Good Care Group provide live-in care and to those who don't know about living care, it is when a carer spends 24-7 really with an elderly person in their own home. So it's providing care, enabling people to stay safely in the homes that they love. And we operate in England and in Scotland. Fantastic. Well, I mean, few sectors have been more hugely affected by what's happened so far this year than than care and of course uh, living care is a different sector from from perhaps the care homes people are 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 used to talking about in some of the coverage that they've seen so what have been the kind of workforce issues that the good care group has been wrestling with through this this period of the crisis you're absolutely right. Living care is different to domiciliary care, as many people probably know about, and care in care homes. So I guess the sheer nature of the fact that our carers stay with their clients for maybe two weeks at a time means that in terms of safety, it has been much easier to keep both clients and carers safe. Of course, uh, 
A global pandemic has a massive impact on recruitment. One of the things that impacted us was that a large proportion of our carers have been based overseas. So obviously with restrictions of travel or people having to isolate or be in quarantines, all these things, it impacted us. It impacted recruitment in the, in the way that we suddenly had large quantities of applications from people. So workload increased dramatically, I would say, as we got into the pandemic. But it, from head office perspective, we have all been working from home and we were quite lucky in that the business was actually set up in a way to allow us all to work from home really quickly. So the, re the recruitment process was overhauled and reviewed in 2018. And we have recruiters who are based both in Spain and here in London and some in Scotland. And the process has meant that the recruiters really can take people through the entire recruitment process from initial application to starting training with us online. So we already offered candidates to do online interviews. They could do interviews by Skype or FaceTime or whichever way they preferred. But that didn't really change. The big change for us and for most care companies, I would suggest, is the fact that we normally provide training face to face. And we had to offer training online. Again, we actually had a platform ready and we were able to do it. It was probably a couple of weeks into the pandemic when we were just waiting to see how things would pan out, how candidates would react, what we needed to do. But we do now actually provide online training and approximately half of all our candidates choose to do that. And the other half still choose to do it face to face in our London office. That's really interesting. A couple of things thrown up there. Let's start with you'd already uh, digitized your uh, recruitment process and yes. your training process came online afterwards. And one of the big questions that I think recruiters both in-house and in agency are wrestling with is how is running a digital process different? What what different things do you have to think about in terms of you know running an interview, scheduling the process and so forth? What have you learned from from moving all that online that you'd say to anyone who's recruiting to to bear in mind while they're doing things digitally as we all have to now? Yeah, I think for us, the reason it was moved online was to give candidates choices. So the nature of living care means that you could really work anywhere in England and Scotland. So just because you may live in London doesn't mean that you wouldn't necessarily have a client in London. You could go and work um, in Birmingham or Liverpool or Maidstone, anywhere. Mm. So therefore, it was not practical for all candidates applying for jobs to actually come to London, where we have a recruitment team to do their interviewing. So the Good Care Group has actually for quite a while offered people to go through the the process just online so as I said they could do well the process is that they would fill in an online application form they will then do a situational judgment test which has actually been a game changer for us we can go back and talk about that if you want to if they go through those application process and the SJT they will have a phone interview and that's followed by a face-to-face -face interview and as I said I would say 99.9% .9 of all candidates do that online. 
I mean, an obvious reason, for example, is if you are already a carer, it is unlikely that you can just take time out of your schedule and go and have an interview. So actually giving people the opportunity to do it at a time of their choice and via Skype or FaceTime or whichever way we can do it face to face that suits them. It has it has made us much more flexible and agile and it suits the candidates. Well, I think that's really interesting in terms of I think we're seeing that across the sector now in terms of people being available to yeah. and thinking about scheduling. Let's jump jump back to that situational judgment test, because I mm. definitely am seeing a trend of hirers thinking about how they can use testing better in a system that's almost entirely online. So what have been the benefits of that situational judgment test for you? It's, it's, the benefits have been Many. The situational judgment test was introduced to really in to really probe people's values. So when you when you start as a living carer with us, the last part of the recruitment process is to do training, and that's five days training. So as you can imagine, Neil, the process for us is 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 costly both in time and in terms of money to take a candidate through from initial application through to actually going through a five-day training program with us. When they do that face-to-face, we put we put candidates up in a hotel, we pay for that, we pay for them to get to training, we you know, we supply food and accommodation basically. So the situational judgment test really helps us probe people's values and takes them through realistic scenarios of what the job is all about. So they do it online, but it is not a computer that says yes or no, as some people sometimes think there are actually recruiters at the back, then looking at how people have responded to the various scenarios. Um, And the last part of the test is um, a listening test uh, where you have to listen to a phone message And there is also a test where you have to read something and then report back to what you read. So in in essence, an English test, but just in a much more realistic situation. See, that's really interesting to me because I I, I think a lot of companies are thinking about how they hire on behaviours and people's reactions Mm -hmm. to environmental situations. So I think a lot of people listening to the pod will will, will take something from the fact that you've had such... Uh, benefit from beginning to think that way and of course it's not a replacement for the interview it's a it's an additional no. point of, point of judgment just before we move on from your process though mm-hmm. um in both training and interviewing do you think that online training and interviewing is the same as in person as in the same skill sets the same challenges or have you had to change how you prepare interviews and prepare both interviewers and interviewees for interview and the same for people training is there a difference between the two modes that that company companies who are thinking about how they they do this need to be aware of i can probably talk more about the interviewing part because the training is still fairly new but i would say in the interviewing part it would seem that candidates are now so used to interacting online with people. Most people are completely used to doing FaceTime with friends and family and certainly doing this pandemic, they have been even more used to it. So I actually don't think that recruiters have had to change an awful lot. You can have a conversation with a person face to face, it feels like a natural interaction. And I think it's reassuring to many people that they can actually see the, the recruiter who they are talking to. In terms of our training, 
yes, there, I'm sure there are things that the training team have had to adapt to because training includes moving and handling, for example, and first aid. So doing that online has probably has probably involved some adapt, ad, adaption of, of how they deliver that training. When we think about online interviewing, sometimes we think that it, you know, we view the candidate pool as a static body. But I, I think it, a really powerful call to recruiters, wherever you are there, to, to think about how your candidate pool itself has changed over the last six months in terms of their understanding of how work is done and and things like meetings on Teams or, or Zoom or other uh, video conferencing uh, software is available. Um, yeah. Can I? Can I just take us back to, mm-hmm. to something you said earlier about uh, your workforce? Because, of course, care is a labour intensive business. It's basically uh, delivered by individual people and especially in a in a sector, uh, in a part of the sector uh, like, like yours, where you're actually doing live in care. And you hinted earlier that there was a big kind of workforce change challenge coming from the fact that it's obviously more difficult for people to come from overseas to to work with you at, at the moment and perhaps for for a good bit longer uh, than just the, these few months and at the same time you're getting a whole slew of additional applications from the UK partially driven of course very sadly by the fact that more people are looking for for jobs what's your strategy then for reacting to that picture where are you you looking to source your candidates going forward and and how how are your process, processes going to have to change to react to where that new pool is? We have had to adapt uh, some of our strategies, Neil. I mean, we at the beginning of the year, I worried about Brexit. And I almost long for the time when I only worried about that and the impact on recruitment, because obviously the global pandemic had a massive impact. We have brilliant carers who, some of them for, for various reasons, have not been able to travel which means that we have concentrated a lot more during the pandemic of hiring from the UK. So before uh, the coronavirus, we would have events abroad. And that could be, that was often live events where we actually would travel to Spain, for example, or Portugal, and we would have events there. Now we have moved though a lot of those events online and that actually did start last year because we realized that we could have many more events if we did it online and that many people again would were more likely to turn up to an event where they only had to take out half an hour or an hour of their day rather than maybe travel half a day to come and see us face to face so so that transition had already happened and what we have found now is that having online events is actually quite successful. People like to engage with the recruiters. They like, we also have a, we have a number of what we call care ambassadors. So they are professional living carers who like to promote the idea of living care and actually like to help out at recruitment events. So we very often invite a living carer along to do one of our online hiring events and talk about what it's like to do live-in care and people can ask questions. I think that we will keep focusing on the UK for the foreseeing months. That does not mean that we will not invite applications from abroad because of course we will, but we know all the challenges that go with that. That's really interesting. And, you know, we know that so the social care workforce generally is going to have to grow in the years to come. Yeah. It's a long-standing kind of 
public and social policy debate around how we how we fund care going forward, particularly the publicly funded parts of the system. So the total number of carers in all subsectors of the industry are going to have to grow. Are you reaching out to different groups in that UK workforce now? Are you looking out for sort of young people or maybe thinking about where they 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 go? Who are the sort of people who are coming into these online recruitment events that you're running? Okay, so we've observed there are a number of, of different groups. There are people who are already in care, but that might be domiciliary care, it might be in care homes, it might it might be in situations where they feel living care could be a safer option for them at the moment. We are also having people who perhaps have left care and they went into retail or hospitality or even administration for a number of years and have very sadly been either furloughed or made redundant and they are then exploring whether care is an option for them again. We have also observed really interestingly that carers or I would say applicants for our care jobs seem to apply for many different jobs with many different uh, providers, care providers. So the pace and the speed that the recruitment team is having to work at now has actually gone up considerably. And we have experienced, I would say, an increase in applications, but also an increase in dropouts uh, throughout each stage of the stage of the recruitment process. And I, I think that's a reflection of the fact that people having to apply for many many jobs at the same time yeah i've seen exactly that in fact i I know one of the jobs boards indeed published data last week that suggested that was the case which is people are broadening job searches but not necessarily deepening them of course one of the bits of advice we often give to job seekers at the rec is obviously do do look widely for a job but make sure that you're making the best of every application i suppose in a in a more kind of professional calling sector where you know the 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 process of delivering care is very similar in terms of it being heavily driven by the individual professional that you put in there that there's always going to be a risk for you in in that broad in people going for a, a really broad job search is there anything a firm uh, a, a firm like yours can do to kind of embed a kind of an employer brand that that tries to make you the employer of choice and and therefore reduce uh, dropout rates Absolutely. So my background is in employer branding. So it was always a subject that was close to my heart. And we started working on our EVP last year with um, an agency called Creed. And we went through the whole piece of doing research, both internally and externally, came up with propositions that were tested with various focus groups. It was it was a big and thorough piece of work. And we um, came out with an employer brand, which we were then starting to embed in April. The irony of having to do that during lockdown was quite difficult. But our uh, employment proposition really is there's nowhere better. It's a reflection of the fact that we are a living care provider that has outstanding in all five categories that the CQC inspects in, but also the feedback that we always have from employees when we're doing our internal surveys is um, a really really positive scores and really positive feedback about us as an employer we're currently scoring 4.8 so we thought we would 
harness all that and really try and establish ourselves as uh, an employer that absolutely provides the best in care, that provides outstanding care, and that really encourages people who are committed to that personal care to, to come and join us. One of the things that I've been talking to a lot of people about recently is, you know, this idea that rising unemployment means that employer branding and candidate experience doesn't matter as much, I think is for the birds. Uh, People remember how you behave and they remember what your what your offer is and how you make yourself a good place to work. It's really interesting to see that at a time when the care sector has been under such stress, uh, stress you've continued to push forward with that because a big bit of that is how you protect people from COVID itself so um, you mentioned earlier in the pod keeping people in in one place keeping living carers in in one place as a way of protecting them what else have you had to do as a uh, as a firm to protect uh, your staff from the virus Yeah, so obviously the nature of what we do means that our carers tend to have one client who they stay with for their duration of a shift. So a shift could be anywhere from one week up to, in very rare, very rare cases, up to six weeks. So a carer stays, every client has two carers that sort of takes it in turns to look after them for the duration of their shift. That in itself, I suppose, does uh, provide some safety both for the client and, and for the carer. As an organisation, obviously, we have to make sure that all carers have the right PPE equipment. We have supported carers who needed to to have access to testing. We have been able to provide uh, home testing kits as well. We have adhered to all the guidance that the Department of Health and Social Care have provided in public England. And for head office staff, um, during lockdown, most of us have been working from home. A handful of people have been in the office to be able to send out PPE kit to our carers and to send out laptops because all our medication and all our communication with the carers is is online. So they all get laptops in their placements. That makes lots of sense. And I think that focus on PPE provision was was huge earlier on in the in the pandemic. Certainly, we spent a lot of time talking to DH and others about ensuring agency staff had access to PPE on a similar on a similar similar basis. So I it strikes me, Tina, from what you've said, that in many ways, the experience of taking a care firm through the pandemic has only kind of confirmed some of the things that you you set out to achieve last year in terms of the importance of a, a strong employer brand, thinking about thinking about reaching out to a broader pool of potential applicants and taking things online, really driving higher take up. Yes, I think that is true. We did a lot of work clearly never knowing what was around the corner but we did all this work because it made sense to us as a business and it made us agile it made us uh, much more flexible and for us it's about being able to provide the very best experience to our candidates and that means that they have to have a choice about you know when they want to talk to us and so for example we have weekend recruiters we are able to do interviews after five o'clock because you know the world doesn't the world doesn't work in the way that carers can just speak to recruiters between nine and, and five five or five thirty. So 
a lot of those measures actually did help us when we realized that we all had to work from home and it has made it has made that transition fairly or as as painless as as it could be a real theme there that we've picked up from a number of these conversations which is uh, very few organisations in terms of how they resource and recruit are going to go back to where they were in January and February. It's really about how we build on from here, isn't it? Yes, I think how how we recruit really hasn't changed because we already did recruit like this when in January. It's just that we had a whole recruitment team sitting in a more central location, I suppose. But training certainly has changed for us as a care provider. Fantastic. Tina, thank you for joining us today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all of you for joining us on this episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. Uh, do join us again for, an, for another episode soon. And if you want to whet your appetite for the next episode, uh, a couple of episodes that are worth uh, your time, perhaps episode 32, the last one with uh, Steve Bernard of ConnectWell, looking at what this period has meant for candidate experience and uh, thinking through how client businesses are, are thinking about their planning and how Uh, recruiters can help with that in agency or if you'd like something a bit more public policy episode 28 with David Massey from the Low Pay Commission looking at the future outlook on pay and the national living wage uh, is a really good lesson in terms of the future trends in lots of sectors but thank you again for joining us on this episode of the podcast I'll talk to you all soon have a great week thank you for listening we hope you found this episode helpful Head to our COVID-19 hub on www.rec.uk.com forward slash COVID-19 for the latest guidance on managing your business during these unprecedented times.